Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good evening, everybody. Some of you I already spoke with. Uh, Some of you not yet. So, (coughs) today I'm going to bring up a case from a collection of koans called the Mumon Khan, the Gateless Gate. And I'm going to read the case, uh, commentary, short commentary, the verse, and then I'm going to speak about it um, in a way that uh, pertains to our lives. So this is uh, case 39 from the Mumon Khan. Mumon says, you've missed it. The case. The monk wanted to ask Uman a question and started to say, the light serenely shines over the whole universe. Before he even finished the first line, Uman suddenly interrupted and said, isn't that the poem of Chosetsu Shusai? The monk answered, yes it is. Uman said, you've missed it. Later, Master Shishin took up this koan and said, now tell me, Why has this monk missed it? Mumon's commentary. In this koan, if you can grasp how lofty and unapproachable Mumon's Zen working is, and why the monk missed it, then you can be a teacher in heaven and on earth. In case you're not yet clear about it, you will not even be able to save yourself. Mumon's verse. A line is dropped in swift swift stream. Greedy for the bait, he is caught. If you open your mouth only a little, your life is lost. So, it's good to be back here at Shoboji. Some of you know, before the pandemic, I used to visit here more regularly, but due to the growth of our Eryuji Sangha, some structural changes of our schedule, and the time I spend meeting with students, the visits, unfortunately, have dwindled down and have become more sporadic. But so it is. But this statement, the common statement, right, that we use, it's good to be back here, is somewhat problematic. Although I can say I've been here before, I can also say that this is my first time to visit Shoboji, or to be here. On a practical or communicative level, there is of course some truth to saying that I've done said or heard something many times before. And of course it serves a purpose to speak in such a way. But if our view doesn't reach beyond the provisional and limited nature of thought and language, we will fall into a trap and find ourselves misaligned with life as it, as it really is. Now this is a common problem for all of us. And it causes great discontentment and unnecessary suffering in our lives. 
In reality, everything that happens is, is fresh and new. Although there may be familiar patterns on the surface, on a deeper level, nothing that happened in the past can happen again in the future or will happen again in the future. Now we may understand this simple truth on intellectual level, but often it is not the way we experience our lives. Because within this fundamental truth of constant changeability and rejuvenation, we find ourselves in the bubble of preconceived notions, rigid storylines, and a fixed sense of self. Hence the misalignment. And in essence, the study of the Buddha Dharma is the study of our misalignment with life. It reveals it reveals the truth, but it equally reveals how we miss it, how we become misaligned with it, or what we do to create the sense of misalignment. So all the traditional aspects of Zen practice offer a way or ways to work with this problem so we can release the grasping on our self-created reality and merge with the way things are. So, I want to say a few words about uh, what we do in our tradition. In our Sangha, we have twice a year, we call, we call it Ango, we have a three-month training period in the fall and in the spring. And uh, right now, we are in the middle of this fall training period, Ango training period and each ango we choose different theme to work with and this one this particular ango the theme is dynamic merging so and this is a con I spoke about the talk I gave uh, in relation to that theme how to work with that now in dynamic merging what we're talking about is zazen and post zazen right so what we do on the cushion in our practice and how we make the connection with everyday life. Dynamically, as life revolves, as life happens, unfolds, how do I align with what is? Not conceptually, but on the go. When there's no time to stop and think about the how. So, on the cushion, during Zazen, we realize the fundamental point, right? So that means we get in touch with the ground of being through our practice. We develop and strengthen a sense of unconditional inner stability and unity. And then we allow the inner stability to provide a nurturing place of rest. May not feel this way at first, but with time and practice, we discover it to varying degrees, obviously, but we discover a sense of rest, a sense of unity, kind of a sense of homecoming. And then often what happens when Zazen ends and work comes or family or whatever comes next, then we feel a divide. And we may, we may want to run back to the cushion to find that place of 
ease and calm and stability. And so our practice, our, the responsibility of our practice is to break down those barriers and to dynamically bring that essence that we encounter into our everyday life. So in Zazen we realize the fundamental point. In our everyday life we actualize the fundamental point. And this is the daily working of dynamic merging with life. So when, as we get in touch with the, with the ground of being, we have the advantage, right, during Zazen, we have the advantage of knowing how it feels like to be unified, to be merged, to be at one. And knowing how it feels like when we are scattered, right? So we look at our Zazen, we look at everyday life, and we see a divide. We see life, we experience life differently. Right? So when we get in touch with the inner sense of being, it's like having or developing an inner compass that can be used as we function through the day. Kind of like having a thermostat, right? So that you set the thermostat to a certain temperature and as it gets colder, right? As it gets colder, the, the furnace kicks in, it warms it up, right? When it gets warmer, the furnace stops working. Right, to maintain that, what we set, right? We set on the dial. And in a way, we encounter that in us when we see it in Zazen. And then throughout the day, we have to take the responsibility to find our way back to that. Not back to the cushion, but back to that which we encounter on the cushion, which obviously does not arise from the cushion. Right? It doesn't arise from a zendo. We only encounter what is. And what is is always there for us. So that sense of unity, right? So, so the, task, the daily task is to merge the unified inner state of being with the often chaotic and daunting state of our changing reality. It's a big task. But that's essentially what we are working with. So there is the Zazen and there is the post-Zazen work. And so regular engagement with different aspects of practice is creating a, a great opportunity for us to truly break through some of the inner barriers that, are, that hold us back. But the question of how much we engage and how far we will go with it is really up to each of us. Right? So the, the opportunity is there always. And the question is, Am I maintaining that deep or continuous level of engagement throughout the day? Often we, we veer off. It's common, obviously, to veer off. And often we veer off because we don't know how to find our way back. Right? And then we, we start to veer off and we just keep veering off. Right? And then to become aware of that veering off is step one. And then to find a way back reunite with what is, then again move. And that has to happen on the go, obviously. So the advice that I gave at the beginning of this ango period, this training period, was a twofold advice. So, or, or I mentioned that we have to make two agreements with ourselves as we enter this particular kind of training period, which of course is not limited to 
a particular Sangha doing that particular training, right? It pertains to all of us. So the first one is an agreement that I make with myself that I have never done this before, right? I've never done this before, whatever that is, whatever's going on. I've never been here before. I've never done this before, right? And it's, it's kind of odd to say I make an agreement with myself about something that is that way anyway, because in reality, things are always new. So in reality, to say I have never been here before is true. It's not a Zen statement that we have to take on, right? And we can also take it further to seeing a friend or a family member and say, well, I've never seen you before. Not saying it, but seeing it as I've never seen this person before, because there is truth to that as well. There, are, there is recollection, obviously. But if I say I've never seen you before, I give you a permission, actually. I give you the option to be fresh and new, and I give myself the permission or the option to see you in fresh light, in new light. So it's giving myself the opportunity to go beyond my preconceived notions about you, about life, about reality, about anything. So it's giving me the, the opportunity to expand beyond me, basically. Beyond the small self, small I. So the first, I've never done this before. And the second, every morning to renew the intention to maintain the resolve and stay on the path. Right, so to renew that. So every morning, Brand new day, brand new morning, I am going to renew my commitment to stay on the path, which by implications means to renew my intention to stay engaged with life as it is, not as I think it is or as I think it should be. So, yeah, it's, it may be radical to, to do that, to see life this way, because we don't often see it this way. It may be radical for us, but in terms of life itself, it's just the way it is. So the, the radical or the dissolving the radical is only in the mind. So we can actually merge with the newness and freshness that life offers on a momentary basis. It also offers nurturing on a momentary basis, which we often don't see because we are so preoccupied with what we think about life or about people, about ourselves. So these two fundamental intentions that we have to raise, right, or, or agreements with ourselves, the fundamental intentions are meant to set the tone and lay down the foundation for our moment-by-moment -moment daily practice. So the dynamic intention on a momentary basis is to, is to extrapolate and assimilate, to extrapolate and assimilate whatever we encounter to bring it into life. So we bring all aspects of our practice into everyday life. So not only that it's extremely powerful, it also makes the practice, we realize the practice as just life itself, not a thing I compartmentalize that I go and do every week, every other week, every day, every Sunday, whenever I go, or whenever I fold my legs and sit in Zazen. Right? That's not... You know, Zen is not limited to Zazen. The, the, the heart of Zen is realized through Zazen, 
which of course immediately raises the responsibility to bring it to everyday life or to keep it alive through everyday life. So I've never done this before, or I've been here before, seen it before, means to see beyond the familiar in everything we encounter, everyone we meet. To see beyond the familiar, and the familiar and the challenge with that has to do with the fact that the familiar is a source of comfort for us. So often I don't want to see beyond that. To see beyond the familiar is scary for us. Because we venture beyond the known. And that is venturing beyond me. Because it includes the known me, not just the known encounter, the known unknown encounter. It also includes the known unknown me. So to go beyond the familiar is to go beyond me. So it includes that too. And it means to go against the grain and put aside put aside, not reject, not deny, not suppress, simply put aside grudges, mistrust, doubts, self-concernness, and all the knowns about the situation and circumstances that we encounter. And, and it means to welcome every moment with, with an open heart and a curious mind, supple, open, curious attitude, never before Never again. That too, right? Never again. Because the fact that things cannot repeat means that they will not repeat in the future. Which means this is my only opportunity to be here. This is my only opportunity to be here. So that's on, I've never done this before. Now every morning I will renew my intention to maintain the resolve. It means to start the day with a forward gaze, forward outlook, and a nurturing attitude to life. Now, never mind what I did or did not do yesterday. Never mind. Nothing that happened in the past has the power to hold me back today. Unless, of course, I conclude that it does have the power to hold me back today. Therefore, I am held back. Right? Because if I conclude that, I will be held back. But essentially, regardless of how, of what happened in reality itself, things are again showing themselves up brand new as they did. Right? Maybe I did not see it yesterday, but I can see it today. Or maybe I can stay open to the possibility of seeing something I have not been able to see yesterday. So nothing has the power, regardless of how well I slept, regardless of the thoughts and emotions I experience, or the physical state of my body, I am always free to honor my commitment, it's, and it is a commitment, to honor my commitment to stay true to the essence of my being. The essence of my being is in alignment with life. This is again what we encounter in Zazen. Because we don't have to call it anything. You know, we just, essence of my being is just a bunch of words. But what we encounter is that, is essence. And essence is free, it's open potential. 
whether or not I bring that potential to fruition today has everything to do with how I engage with moment-by-moment moment encounters, activities. And we don't need anything elaborate for that. It's not, I have to read a sutra, or I have to remember some text I read some time ago. It could be something very simple, right? So a daily reminder to tie those two agreements together can be as simple as beginning the day with a fresh glass of water. Just that, right? Drinking the water with a full awareness, deliberate intention, and deep appreciation. Starting the day with aligning with freshness. Literally, putting it in us. Right? And then, and then, as we go through the day, maintain this sense of freshness as we encounter moment by moment circumstances. So it could be a great reminder of something very, very, very simple that often we disregard or we don't value. So to value something so simple and begin the day like that can set the tone, has the power to set the tone for the rest of the day. And this could be our own personal experience and expression of the first line from this koan. The light serenely shines over the whole universe. It is continuously shedding light on reality as it is. Fresh, new, never before. Serenely. And often serenely is what we don't, what we long for, but we are unaware of. Because we reject things. We reject the simple things that offer that without any hindrances or coverings. So it can, the light continuously, serenely shines. It reveals life as an eternal state of constant renewal. It shows the immense beauty of our authentic expression. It doesn't reject, we reject. And it verifies our great capacity for love, for care, for compassion for unity. And of course, it's available for all. But as long as we don't trust it, or don't even see it, right, and turn towards the staleness of our repetitive and familiar patterns of thought and behavior, we will remain in the dark while the sun shines brightly on us. We can be in the sun, but remain in the dark. As in the saying, there are those who die of starvation while sitting beside a bucket of rice. Right? The good old poverty mind. So the monk in this story came to see Master Umon and was going to ask a question. So he was going to pose this question after reciting the verse. But as soon as he uttered the first few words, the line serenely shines over the whole universe. Uman suddenly interrupted him and said, isn't that the poem of Chosetsu Shusai? Now there's a background story to this encounter. Chosetsu Shusai was a high government official who studied Zen under the guidance of Master Sekiso Keisho. His name, Chosetsu, has two parts. The first one, Cho, 
was simply the family name. The second part, setsu, literally means unskillful. So one day when he went to see his teacher for guidance, his teacher asked him an interesting question related to the meaning of his name. He said, skill is attainable by seeking. Where does setsu, unskillfulness, come from? Now hearing this question, Shosetsu was deeply awakened. Skillfulness. Now how do we see, what, how do we understand skillfulness versus unskillfulness, right? So skillfulness, obviously it requires accumulation. It is measured, it is quantifiable, it is compared or comparable right, to others. We value ourselves, each other, based on level of skill, right? Unskillfulness doesn't have all that. It is pointing at, it is actually saying, put aside of that and look at what is inherent before you start to develop skillfulness in this or that. What is already inherent? What is not cumulative in essence? Or what is essence? Because essence is not cumulative. Essence has nothing to do with skillfulness. So, and so to echo his awakening experience, Chosetsu wrote a verse, which is the verse that was going to be brought up in this uh, story. Which never happened because after the first line he stopped him. So the light serenely shines over the whole universe. Ignorant, wise and living creatures are all in my abode. When no thought arises, the whole is fully revealed. Everybody and everything is there. When no thought arises, before the mind moves, everything is there. Once the mind moves, everything seems divided, seems divided. If the six organs move even a little, it is obstructed by clouds. Now the six organs are the senses, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. In Buddhism, the mind is considered a, a sense organ, the brain is considered a sense organ like the other sense organs. Uh, it is more like a governing sense organ that takes all the stimulations and all the input from the other senses and creates a picture, uh, a story or something out of it by which we can take the next step, say, don't say, do, don't do. But it's a sense organ, is the point. So what he's saying is if the six organs move even a little, it is obstructed, it, capital I, capital T, or the essence, or who you are in essence, is obstructed by what you think you are. And the way we construct what we think we are has to do with our senses. So it's not the senses that, meaning there's nothing wrong with the senses, it's the way we meet and use the senses that creates the illusion of self. And then it says, if you cut off your ignorance, your, your ailment with, will increase. So you can reject ignorance. 
If you look for the truth, you are also in the wrong. So neither one of those will work. And living in accordance with worldly affairs, you will have no obstructions. In other words, be in alignment. Let your life, let life teach you about the Dharma, about Zen. It is teaching all the time. And then the last line of this verse, Nirvana and life and death are like colors in a dream or clouds in the sky. So this verse offers a clear pointer to the vast reality behind the veil of our self-created cocoon. Available to all, yet, as he says, if the six organs move even a little, it is obstructed, obstructed by clouds. When we construct a fixed sense of reality from the input of our limited senses, we create a stagnant bubble within a flowing reality. And then we suffer the consequences of being misaligned with life. Now within that bubble, life does not appear as shifting, changing. It appears stagnant. Or when it appears shifting, it appears as a threat. So we don't want to merge often because we don't like what happens because we think what happens needs to be based on our or needs to conform to our story. It doesn't. The story is made up. Life is not. And so from within this bubble, reality appears as unchanging. Self and other seem to be fixed. And the value of a human being becomes quantifiable based on our made-up standards. So unskillfulness appears to be equated with unworthiness. That's how we may see it. Which, of course, for us, sits in a lower rung on our imagined totem pole. So Master Sekiso is asking Chosetsu and us to examine what we may define as unimportant, insignificant, unworthy. What do we become blind to when we view self and other and our environment as fixed and defined? What is it that we are not seeing? And you know, the power of Zazen comes from the fact that it, is, it gives us nothing. Nothing. It is plain as plain as could be which is why it is so so powerful it reveals how we create stuff and how we believe the stuff we create to be true zazen is like water and it also quenches us like water but as, as we often may reject water, we may reject the plainness of practice. It's too plain. I want colors. I want sounds. I want entertainment.
So when the monk started to quote the verse of Chosetsu's realization, Uman stopped him and asked, isn't that the line from this, and it was well known at the time, this well-known verse. So he gave him the opportunity to release the grip and wake up. But all this monk was able to say at that moment is, yes, it is. Right? Isn't that the line of, or isn't that from, right? Where are you now? Look at yourself. Are you here? Where is your attention? Look at life. Right? It's like we are in front of a buffet table full of incredibly fresh, nutritious food. And we crawl under the table and find a crumb from 50 years ago. Look at this crumb. Somebody dropped it. Right? It's what we do, you know. It's like, and this is often what we may be doing with text and books and things we accumulate and put on in the shelf, on the shelf in the library that we have. And we run back to the books and quote this and quote that, but we turn away from the freshness and end up with staleness. Now, if the crumb works to remind us of our freshness, then it's great. But if we collect them like stamps and frame them, put them on the wall or put them in a nice case, then we miss the point. And he missed it and we miss it on a regular basis. So Umon said, you have missed it. And the commentary on the monk's reply, this is Shibiyama, he says, how regrettable. Why could he why couldn't he at least say, I don't know? Well, that's a good start, right? I don't know. Because I don't know is wide open. I don't know this. Opens up everything. And then he says, being a Zen monk, he ought to be able to give a Zen answer of his own. Of his own from his own, from this moment, from life itself. Not borrowed. Then he goes on to say, this monk, while his whole body is in the midst of light, is foolish enough to seek outside himself. How stupid that is. While living in one's own house, one is obsessed with the idea that he is in somebody else's house and pays the rent. That's a very simple way to, to say that, right? This is, he says, this is the ignorance that is described as binding oneself without a rope or tying ourselves up with our own creations. So living in one's home, paying rent to someone else, not taking responsibility or trying to breathe through somebody else's lungs, But as Hakuin says, how near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying of thirst. When we turn away from our true nature, we become ignorant to the fact that we are actively rejecting that which we are longing for.
And by doing so, we create the sense of alienation and perpetual discontent we often experience in our lives. Because we are so used to equating our human value with everything that happens, it may seem to us that Uman is rebuking the monk by interrupting him and then even further rejecting him by saying, you've missed it. But it is quite the opposite. It is the monk himself that is turning away from his own endowment, rejecting his own authentic expression and putting his trust in his self-created stories and mental formations. And so by interjecting and saying, you've missed it, Uman is expressing great kindness to this monk and to us. It may seem abrupt, but it is urgently important to realize our true essence because, because we are so divisive in our actions. And of course we see it in this country, in the world. So it's so important and so urgent that we go beyond that and we bring, unleash our great capacity for unity, love, acceptance, equality. In the last line, says, Later, Master Shishin took up this koan and said, Now tell me, why has this monk missed it? Now, Master Shishin was a successor of Master Maido Shoshin and was born about 170 years after Ummon passed away. When Shishin first came to the monastery, his teacher, Maido, held up a feast and said, If you call this a feast, you are committed to the name. If you, call, if you say it's not a feast, you are rejecting the fact. Now, tell me, what do you call it? What do you call you? Shishin was completely at loss for words. He then worked on this question diligently for two years until one day he was awakened to the embodied experience it evoked in him. So for two years he sat with that question. You can say it is, you can say it isn't. What is it? So in one of his last poems, Shishin wrote, when you talk, it is crumbled to seven and eight. When you're silent, it falls into twos and threes. So I advise you, Zen practitioners, the mind of Satori is ever free. Stop all contriving. Stop all machinations. Sit down for a while and you will realize as well. So Shishin is asking us, how did the monk miss it? How do we miss it? How do we go astray? How do we stay blind to equality? How do we measure ourselves and others? What are the parameters that we go by to measure? And how is it that we don't allow the beauty of our true and unique expression to shine forth and be shared with the world? Now, if we answer with words, we limit it to words and we miss it. If we answer with silence, we limit it to silence and again we miss it. How do you answer? Is a question. 
So in the commentary, Shibiyama says, unless you, only you, can give your answer based on your training and your experience, you will remain a stranger to Zen. Unless you are awakened to this absolute freedom, your Zen will be a lifeless concept. And then he adds, I tell you, it's not easy. We can add that the alternative is worse. Because we know it. We know it because otherwise we wouldn't be here. Deep down we know there is another way to be. So we seek a spiritual practice. That's step one. Once we enter, now what? You are given basic instructions and you are shown to a cushion. That's it. The rest is on you. Not because we want to be stingy with instructions, but because we trust you. We trust the greatness of your being more than you trust yourself, more than you trust it. That's why Zen doesn't give anything other than a cushion. Because it knows how rich you are. So the line from the verse that says, living in accordance with worldly affairs, you will have no obstructions. This is the moment-by-moment practice. Recognizing, so becoming aware of the gap, the gap between the inner state of being and the outer state of reality. Recognizing the inner resistance to life and then learning to yield and merge to life. Never mind what I think. What's going on? That's the most important question. And you know, never mind what I need. What do you need? Is a more important question to ask. Never mind. What's going on? If I'm preoccupied with what I think and what I need and what I want and what I'm disappointed by, I'm not going to even be able to see or hear you. How will I be able to help? I'm too self-concerned. So living in accordance with worldly affair is how we can actualize the fundamental point and dynamically keep the practice going and connect between Zazen and everyday life. Mumon's verse, a line is dropped in a swift stream, greedy for the bait, he is caught. So Umon's sharp response to the monk isn't this, the line from Chosetsu's verse, right? Here is the line. Now, greedy for the bait, he is caught. He is still functioning within that realm. So he bites. He bites the hook that is lower down. If you open your mouth only a little, your life is lost. The last line. So we need to learn how to trust the inherent, our inherent 
nature and be decisive in our response to life. Be decisive. Yeah, we make mistakes. Of course, we're going to make tons of mistakes. But doesn't mean we cannot be decisive. Doesn't mean we cannot listen or look and align on a momentary basis. Shibayama says, a true Zen person is ought to have her own creative way out. And then he adds, he ends that with a question for us. Now tell me, what is your creative way out? So you will never miss it. What is your unique creative way out? And it's out of your head. Out of the cocoon. So you don't get trapped. I want to finish with uh, a quote from O-sensei, uh, who's the founder of Aikido, which I happen to also teach. He <clears throat> says, Your mind should be in harmony with the functioning of the universe. Your body should be in tune with the movement of the universe. Body and mind should be bound as one, unified with the activity of the universe. Thank you. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.